On this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we chat with Terps reliever Ryan Hill about his recovery from Tommy John surgery a few years ago, his journey to College Park, fungo golf, and how he takes care of his hair. Plus, we break down the weekend that was in Maryland's series win against Michigan and look ahead to Rutgers. Finally, a bit of fun with some Maryland baseball-themed fantasy baseball team names. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Here's your host, Jake Eisenberg. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the 30th episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. That's right. We've had as many Maryland Baseball Network podcast episodes as Mike Schwarn has wins in his Maryland career. How do you like that, Justin? That's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, he's the winningest pitcher all time in Maryland history. And this, of course, the winningest podcast all time in Maryland history. I think it's safe to say. I think it's the only one, Jake. All right, fair <laughs> enough. Anyway, taking a look now at this past weekend series, Maryland beating the Michigan Wolverines in two out of three games. Really an impressive win on Friday, 7-2 to two over the number 18 team in the country. Then coming back on Saturday and winning 5-4, to four, both games Maryland came from behind. And I think, Justin, that there were some pretty big statement wins overall in terms of how conference play might shake out and the fact that Michigan came in ranked and Maryland was ranked to start the season but came into the series unranked. Yeah, these two teams at the beginning of the year were expected to be the best two clubs in the Big Ten. So for Maryland, the first weekend of the conference season to get a series win is huge. You protect Bob Turtle Smith Stadium. That's big as well. But Friday night, they got another great start from Brian Schaefer. And I think he's made it clear that on Friday nights, Maryland is easily one of the 25, if not even better, best teams in the country. And then on Saturday, frankly, I thought they stole the game. I thought Michigan was probably the better team. They out-hit the Terps. There were just some odd plays in that game, and Maryland stole it. And to get two of three from the Wolverines is huge because, as we mentioned, these two teams are expected to be the best two in the Big Ten, so it wouldn't be surprising at all if they both go on very strong runs from this point on. And that's something that John Chef said after the game on Sunday, that Michigan was one of, if not the well, one of, if not the best teams that Maryland has faced so far this season, save maybe for, for LSU down in Baton Rouge and Louisville down in Clearwater. But Brian Schaefer on Friday, you mentioned it, simply tremendous again. Eight innings of two-run ball. He struck out 10 for his second straight tar- start, 10 being his career high in strikeouts. And then Saturday, I think, you're, I think you're absolutely right in saying that Maryland stole the game. The Wolverines put up runs in each of, well, four of the first five innings. And I think Taylor Bloom even though he might not have had his sharpest stuff, I think did an excellent job of limiting the damage or limiting the big inning, which is really what plagued Maryland on Sunday in that three-run frame that kind of ultimately led to Michigan growing its lead to win 6-2. to two. So I think Saturday was kind of the gutsy Maryland. I think Friday was the dominant Maryland. And I think on Sunday we saw the cracks that Maryland still has to fill. Right, and on Saturday the big issue for Michigan was – They just left an an amazing number of runners on base. They got up into double digits with 10. Maryland only left four on base, so when the Terps get out hit by four, that's how you make up the difference in the run column. But as you mentioned, Bloom did a very solid job. Ryan Hill walked four batters, but he gave them six outs, which was big. And then Miller and Selmer, great in the back end of the bullpen. And I talked about about this with you a little bit. Uh, on the broadcast, there were some comparisons being made between Andrew Miller and Tyler Jay, the former star at Illinois. So Miller really turning some heads in the back end of the Terps bullpen. And that's a big comparison as well. Tyler Jay was the 2015 Big Ten Pitcher of the Year. And I think one of the cool things about Friday's game that I was kind of saying on the broadcast is that I think that we were watching 
two of the main contenders for this year's Big Ten Pitcher of the Year and Oliver Jasky and Brian Schaefer. And really, if you look at that game, you know, just looking at a box score, you see Jasky's line, five runs all learned on five hits in six and a third innings. That's not really telling about how well Oliver Jasky pitched. He struck out 10, and really, if Dominic Clemente doesn't misplay a fly ball in right field in the second inning, the Terps don't end up scoring four runs in that frame, and Michigan leads 2-1 until the eighth inning when Maryland puts up two more runs. So that game could have been completely different if not for the Wolverines' defensive miscues in that second inning. Absolutely, but I think Brian Schaefer took that matchup personally against Jasky. He gave up the two runs in the third inning. He had a little bit of trouble with his control, walked three batters, but he gutted out eight very solid innings through 115 pitches. So he showed he's the warrior, he's the ace, he's the stopper. He's everything the Terps want him to be. And it's only one week into Big Ten play, but he has to be at the top of the list for the conference's best starting pitcher at the moment. I think so. I mean, his ERA 1.77 is among the best in the Big Ten. He leads the Big Ten in strikeouts with 48 and it's funny if you not funny, but it's interesting if you look at his numbers through his first six starts of the season, three and one with a 1.77 ERA, 48 strikeouts, 10 walks, and 40 and two thirds innings. They're very, very comparable, and in some areas better than Mike Schwarren's numbers from his 2015 season when he went 13 and two with a 1.78 ERA and set a Maryland single season record in strikeouts with 138. So just comparing the two of those, you know, you look at Brian Schaefer and what he's doing, and you say, wow, he's pitching really well. Then you put it in perspective and you say, wow, he's pitching really, really well. Absolutely. And one of the big issues with Maryland last year, one of the reasons they were not able to qualify for the NCAA tournament was that they didn't quite win the games they should have. But right now, I think John Sheff feels like every Friday night he has the advantage in Big Ten play because he has, as we mentioned, probably the best pitcher in the conference who's off to an incredible start and to match or even do better than what Schwarren did that year, it's rather impressive. And I think I think that's a good point, is that Maryland right now is winning all of the games that they're supposed to be winning. The Terps are 15-8 and eight heading into this midweek contest with St. Joseph's on Wednesday and then the second conference series against Rutgers this coming weekend. But of the Terps' eight losses, and I've mentioned this time and time again, of those eight losses, six of them have come against ranked teams. One of them came against UNC Wilmington, which started the season as a ranked team. And it was in UNC Wilmington, as Chef said, a tough place to pitch, play defense, and really even play. Yeah, I mean, Maryland has not lost many games this year that will hurt them RPI-wise, resume-wise. It's really just that one Ball State game. But, yeah, they were able to split this week with UNC Wilmington on the road, which is pretty much what you hope for. And then you win the series against Michigan. That's what you're expecting. You take that. Absolutely. You take that, and you're very happy to finish. You're very happy to finish the non-conference season at, at 13 and and seven. But, and while I agree with you, but now they start getting to the point where they're going to want sweeps because the big the Big Ten top to bottom is not an overly strong conference, if we're being honest. So yes, you're on the road this weekend, and we'll get into this a little more later. But if Maryland's a top 25 team. They sweep Rutgers this weekend. Right, and I think going on the road and doing that says a lot more than doing it at home, where Maryland has been phenomenal, 10-1 and one so far this season at Bob Turtleson Stadium. And one of only two teams in the entire Big Ten that has been able to play double-digit home games to this point. I mean, that's just a factor of weather, mostly. you got teams like Michigan up north who just hasn't had that many home game opportunities. Same thing with Michigan State. 
but Rutgers, interesting, and we'll, we'll get this to a little bit later. Rutgers came into Maryland last year, took two out of three from the Terps at home. So there's going to be a little chip on these players' shoulders remembering that series because that played a big factor in the Terps having to fight their way into the Big Ten tournament and ultimately not make the NCAA tournament. Right, and it's going to be an interesting series with Rutgers because they've only played two home games this season. So this will be three, four, and five for them. And they've had a very difficult schedule to start the season. Six games in a row to start against Miami and Virginia on the road. They went one and five. And since that point, they've been half decent, and they're coming off a weekend sweep against USC Upstate. But once again, I'm not putting any money on Rutgers making the NCAA tournament or really getting very close to it. But Maryland is the type of team that if they are who we think they are, they think they are, and people thought they were before the season, they should have three very winnable games this weekend. And we'll talk a little bit more about Rutgers later on in, in this podcast. We're also going to talk to Ryan Hill, a Maryland reliever, a transfer from Grayson College, who had some really interesting things to say. We talked to him about his hair maintenance and a bunch of other things like that. But before we transfer over to a little bit of a fun part of this week's podcast, just taking a look at the Big Ten standings to start. Minnesota, Indiana, Michigan State, all 3-0 and to start their conference play. Iowa and Maryland at 2-1. And, and then it's Purdue, Michigan at 1-2. and two. Illinois, 0-3. Northwestern, 0-3. Ohio State, 0-3. Penn State, Nebraska, and Rutgers have yet to play a conference game. They were all played out of conference that first weekend, which is kind of rare. But now Rutgers getting the first taste of it. Absolutely. And the one thing to note, as much as we've said that the Big Ten is not an overly strong conference from top to bottom, many of the out-of-conference records are not that good. And part of the reason for that is they haven't played any home games. So we'll see if things shift once these teams return home. So turning our attention away from this Maryland-Michigan series, we here at Maryland Baseball Network had our fantasy baseball draft uh, just the other night. And we decided to come up with some rather creative uh, fantasy baseball team names that we decided to kind of feature around Maryland baseball players. And, I mean, I'll be honest, some of them were really, really creative and had me rolling around laughing. So we figured it would be a lot of fun to share some of them <laughs> with you. Uh, so, Justin, I'll, I'll let you go first. What was your favorite one of the ones that we came up with? I would have to say your team name would be my favorite, Jake, and you had a hand in helping create it. I did, but you finished it off. Uh, your team name is Iron Chef America for head <laughs> coach of Maryland, John Chef. I originally said Top Chef, and then that evolved into your team name. But I thought that was a great one. And for you, the general of the Maryland Baseball Network, oh, to have your it. team named after the general. I, I, I had to. I had to, pay, I, had, I had to pay my respects to the general. Right. And the skipper. So, yeah, Iron Iron Chef America. I thought it was pretty clever. Yeah, just the one question is, when are you going to come up with a good picture to put along that team mm. name? Right now, and I'll, I'll tell you guys, right now the picture for my team is a picture of Maryland hitting coach Rob Vaughn from when he was coming out of high school, his recruiting profile on Perfect Game. And it's, I mean, he's blonde in this picture. It's really tremendous if you want to go find it yourself. Was he trying to play for the Puerto Rican team in the WBC with that he blonde fit. He could have fit right <laughs> in. Some of these other team names, though, I thought were really, really good. Ryan Camber, one of our staff writers, came up with Two Infinity and Beyondic, which, which was really, really solid. It was, it was one of my favorite ones. Uh, Dylan Sin, another writer, came up with King of the Ryan Hill, which is only fitting because we'll talk to Ryan Hill a little bit later. Um, some of the other ones that... Didn't necessarily make the cut for the team names, but I thought were especially strong was uh, the Jared Price is Right. 
No one seemed to to want to use that one. Uh, you came up with one of my favorites, um, Vanilla Schaefer's. I like which that is one. really clever, <laughs> which is really clever. Um, and of course, don't forget, you can do a decent amount with Taylor Bloom's name. So we did Taylor Bloom and Onion. I like that one. After you know, with with Outback Steakhouse, and feel free, you know, for those of you who are listening, to send some names our way if you can come up with some some good puns for these Maryland team names, like uh, Watts in your wallet. That's a good one. I think you have to share your favorite, though, Jake. My favorite name, and I, I'm, I'm really going to struggle here. I could not say this, type this, share this without cracking up. And this was about, this was maybe about, you know, two hours or so ago. So it's still pretty fresh in my mind. And Jake legitimately fell out of his chair when he thought of this. I thought it was brilliant, but and I mean, you can disagree. I don't disagree. I, I meant you as in the people oh, listening, okay, okay. but. They can they can agree or disagree. Sorry. Anyway, so so those of you listening, you know that when we have our broadcast on the Maryland Baseball Network, they're through an internet stream called Mixler. It's Mixler, M-I-X-L-R, Mixler. Um, so I decided that a good team name might be Sir Mixler a lot. <laughs> I can't say it without laughing. I don't know why it gets me, but you might. I don't. I mean, I'm not terribly familiar with Sir Mix a lot. The, the music icon, but I thought Sir Mixler a lot was a funny play on his name, and that was one of my favorite team names that we came up with in this fantasy baseball realm, so to speak. That was a good one. Um, I, I don't think most of the rest of the MBN staff thought it was quite as funny as you did, but I thought it was creative. I thought it was smart. It was witty. Creativity was the most important part for me. Right, and really the process that went on, I mean – this has been going on now for over two hours since the draft, which took about an hour and a half itself. So everyone's been invested in this. And and rest assured, someone did draft the only Maryland Terrapin in the major leagues, Brett Cecil. Right. He is on somebody's team. And I admittedly took Justin Maxwell with my final pick in the draft, even though he was last playing in Korea. But you showed your loyalty with that, which of course. is impressive. Of course. Right. I had to go search for him and find him in, in the <laughs> queue. But I, but I managed to do so. And hey, rest assured that you know, in the next few years, there's there's a wave of Terrapins in the lower levels of the minor leagues. Mike Schwarren, Jake Stinnett, Jimmy Reed, Adam Kalarik is in AAA. Right. He's somebody that, you know, someone could pick up in June if he if he gets the call up to the big league. So we could be seeing a, a few Terps in, in the fantasy baseball rankings in the, over the next couple of years. And maybe if we put together a keeper league, those guys could get drafted. We'd have to see. I do have to bring up, there was one more good one that was just added. I don't know if you saw a it. A late entry? Yes. It was... Uh, Selmer Fudd. Oh, I like that. After Ryan Selmer, Ryan yes. Selmer Fudd. That's that's very good. We have some creative writers on our staff, and I hope that's been showing in the way that they've been covering this team, and I hope you've been enjoying their coverage of the team because we've certainly enjoyed bringing it to you, and we'll continue to have our fun with this fantasy baseball league of ours and these team names of ours. And, if well, if there are any other good ones, we'll be sure to bring them up. But, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to top Sir Mixler <laughs> a lot. <laughs> so that's, that's as good a place as any to end this brief segment of fantasy baseball team names so with that it's time to chat with ryan hill a maryland reliever and a transfer from grayson college and ryan my first question for you is well you're a transfer from grayson college mm -hmm. so i'm curious first and foremost how you found maryland or really how maryland found you well really maryland found me going throughout my sophomore year junior college at grayson um i was kind of contacting coaches and everything and Something happened where Chef was looking for a pitcher, and through his connections of coaches he knew, he was in contact with a junior college that's in our conference, actually, not even my coach. 
and that coach mentioned my name and I guess from there on he got my name and number and contacted me they came out and watched me pitch and the rest is history I remember you coming out to College Park for, for that visit you took. Maybe it was like mid-April last year. Yeah, it was in the spring sometime. What was what were your first impressions of Bob Turtlesmith Stadium, College Park, the whole nine yards? Oh, it was awesome. I The campus was beautiful. I remember that. and I remember one thing. I showed up in my jeans, and everyone thought <laughs> I was crazy because they're like it's hot out and I'm like this isn't this isn't that hot <laughs> this is it's not Texas weather exactly <laughs> I mean you grew up in Frisco where where exactly is that in Texas it's a uh, North Dallas okay so it's a suburb of Dallas and where is Dallas exactly in Texas like if we're imagining kind of that that lower triangle yep. part and then the little hat at the top it's I guess not at the hat the uh-huh. top left it's more northern right like it's kind of in the middle so to say it's right at the pretty close to about an hour south of the border of Oklahoma. Okay, so it's not too far from Oklahoma. No. So how far is Grayson from Frisco? About 45 minutes. So that's pretty close too. Mm-hmm. But how did you wind up at Grayson? So my senior year of high school, I signed with the University of New Mexico. Um, and at the end of my senior year, unfortunately, I hurt my elbow, ended up having to get Tommy John surgery. And they said, okay, like, you can come here, do your rehab and throwing program and everything, get healed up, and you'll be a redshirt freshman your next year. Um, something along the way happened with them. I'm not sure what it was, but they ended up pulling my scholarship from me. So I decided to ask for my lease, release to leave the school and so I could go place elsewhere. So about midway through the summer, I got the release, and I left and didn't really have anywhere to play, so I called – uh, Coach Dusty up at Grayson, and he said, well, you can come walk on here. So I said, that'd be awesome. I'd love to come play for you. So, Did you have a previous relationship with him that you knew him, or was it just <coughs> one of those places that you reached out to? Uh, they recruited me a lot throughout high school. Okay. So, and so you were familiar with them to an extent? Yes. Like, I knew that they were a very prestigious junior college program, and actually growing throughout high school, that's where I wanted to go to school. I wanted to go to Grayson, and then the D1 offers started coming, and I was like, well, maybe I can do that. So it's kind of funny. I right, know, it makes sense. Yeah, so it's kind of funny how it all worked out and ended up where <laughs> I wanted to go in the first place. Yeah, it's it's funny how kind of things happen like that. Exactly. But as a senior in high school to, I guess, not necessarily wake up one day, but to realize at some point during your senior year of high school that, like, man, I'm, I have to have Tommy John surgery. Mm-hmm. I mean, how did, that, how did that hit you? What was that like? It actually hit like it hit pretty hard because it was actually one instance. It was like over time where it gradually got worse and worse. It was one pitch in playoffs in my senior year. Then you just heard the pop. Yeah, exactly. I heard the pop and I felt it, and it didn't. It did not feel good at all. So, I that happened, and I remember I went to the doctor, and they looked at my MRI, and um. The first doctor I saw said that he saw a partial tear, but he didn't want to be the one to say that I needed to get surgery. But even just saying that there was the possibility of getting surgery really, really hurt. It was tough to swallow, basically. I mean, he seems like he kind of gave you the <coughs> bad news without, you know, dropping exactly. a hammer. Exactly. Which in some ways is almost worse. Yeah. You know, like you want the Band-Aid to be ripped off pretty quickly. Exactly. Like he was like lifting it a little bit slowly. Mm-hmm. So then I got the second opinion from 
another doctor who actually did my ends up doing my surgery, and within the first ten seconds of looking at my MRI, he's like, "Well, this is completely torn, like hundred percent tear. You either get surgery or your baseball career is over with." So, fortunately, there was an opening the very next day to get surgery, and I went and got it done. And then you had, you know, the lengthy rehab. Oh yeah. And I mean, what was that like? Very long, very tedious, lots of range of motion for the first month, and it got really boring. Was there was there one exercise that you kind of looked forward to, or did they all just kind of suck? They were all terrible. Because <laughs> <laughs> at the beginning, like, once you get your stitches out and everything, like, you've been sitting in one position with your arm for, I don't even know how long it was, for like a month or so. So being, like, trying to get that to move and untighten from where it's at, was very painful actually and you've got that kind of big brace that's on that mm -hmm. elbow I and mean, you're kind of walking around like cyborg almost pretty much i mean it's kind of cool no uh it was uh, it wasn't i mean that it's cool. bittersweet it's bittersweet not not yeah. that cool but it's a perk maybe i guess you can you can look at it that way i suppose mine was um, more of a sling with a big pad i didn't have like the big brace oh, you have kind of like that that big yeah. blue pad that kept your your elbow outside your, yep. your rib cage kind of area exactly mm-hmm Sleeping was the worst. Yeah, I'm sure that was kind of having to stay on my back the whole time. Yeah, I mean, are do you, are you a natural sleeper on on your back? You're more of a stomach guy. Side, side guy. Mm -hmm. All right, I'm more of a stomach guy <laughs> myself. You know, and that's the kind of inside information you get when you listen to this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but going back to the the whole Tommy John thing, mm -hmm. I mean, sure, you know, when it happens, really tough. The rehab, right. really tough. Perhaps even most difficult. And this is, you know, just from my experience of talking to guys that have had Tommy John. Is that first pitch you throw coming back, you know, when you're back in right. the ball game? when did that happen and what was it like? So my freshman year at New Mexico, I registered the whole year and I just did my strength and conditioning program, my throwing program, and eventually worked into the getting on a mound and throwing bullpens. Um, I didn't get on a mound in the actual game setting until I think it was 13 months post-op. And that was that summer after my freshman year in the Texas Collegiate League. And I just remember I was really nervous, like really anxious to go in there and see how like see how I do. I knew going in that everything that I've worked for and done to heal up my arm made it stronger and I knew it was healthier and that it will Mentally, I knew that because of surgery, that it was very unlikely for it to happen again. So, pitching, going out there, I remember like my heart was racing, <laughs> like more more than it normally would be. Yeah, it, like I just felt like a little kid going out there again, just playing for the first time. Just like excited to get back out there. Exactly. Right? Do you remember the first pitch you threw? I think it was just a fastball. <laughs> well, was it a fastball or was it the cutter? I didn't have a cutter then. Didn't have a cutter then. Okay, nope. and I and I want to I want to dive into this yeah. a little bit because we've talked about it a couple weeks ago. You don't throw a fastball, you throw a cutter. It's not a no, slider. No, I have a fastball. It's a cutter. Well, I like yeah. I have fastballs and I have a cutter along with it as well. But the cutter is not a fastball. Correct. It's well, I guess it's a cut fastball. If you it's wanna a cut fastball, but it's just not as hard as really my go down into the nitty gritty. If you want to get into the details of it, yeah. But you didn't have a cutter back then, so I guess how did you learn the cutter? Also, what is a cutter? So, went throughout my whole freshman year, junior college with just my fastball, curveball, and changeup as a starter, and then I went through the whole fall of my sophomore year with just the fastball, curveball, changeup, 
and then probably like two weeks before the spring of my sophomore year at Grayson, my coach goes, hey, just try to throw this real quick. <laughs> just like, like out of the blue. In, it was in the middle of my bullpen. He's like, hold the ball right here and just throw a fastball. And just see what happens. Just Let's just see what happens. And why Why two weeks before the season started and not, you know, the fall prior or the spring prior? Just we, out of the blue like that? Just out of the blue. I honestly have no idea why. Well, what happened? It was. I guess it worked. It was great. Like, <laughs> it was a great pitch in the bullpen. So we're like, all right, well, we're going to test this out in the game. So, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> so we did it in the game. In that first game, it was like really good like I got a lot to swing and misses with it like I do now well, you're getting some swings and misses now mm-hmm. you got I think 26 strikeouts in about 18 innings right that's pretty good mm-hmm. um, but that cut fastball is the kind of thing where it's got that late lateral movement right but it's not necessarily you don't know whether it's going to be an inch or you know yeah the there's the sometimes yeah exactly there's sometimes where I get around on it more than I usually do and it, it's it's essentially a, basically a slider, but it's just a very hard slider. But then there's also other times where I throw an actual, like, cutter where it's only, like, a few inches and it's just a hard, sharp break. So if I throw it correctly, it's just that few inches, which is fine. But they both work out. It just works, yeah. yeah it's just but how do you But how do you throw a cutter? Because it's not, it's not gripped like a fastball and you right. flip your wrist in a certain way. Yeah, you you like, were telling me this a couple weeks ago. Yeah, like – in a fastball, you just kind of hold it and you just throw it as hard as you can, pretty much. And then a slider, you have a certain grip and you kind of do a little twist, I guess. Not like a twist, but you kind of pull down on it more than a fastball would on the side. So it has that break to the side or whatever. For me, my cutter, I essentially hold a cutter or a slider grip, but I throw a fastball. I don't do anything specific or unnatural, and I just throw it. So, I just let the grip do what it does. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of like if you were to throw a circle change, you just grip the ball a different way, but you throw it like you would a fastball, and that's what creates the movement. Right. So, I see, I know a little bit about you pitching. You do a little bit, yes, I sir. picked up a couple things, you know, there you go. over these past couple of years. We've been helping you out. Yeah, no. Well, like that's where <laughs> I get all my information. Now I know how to throw a cutter. There Not to go. say that I'm going to be able to do it successfully if I ever tried, but now I have an idea. Just got to practice. Yeah. I mean, from up from up in the booth where I am at Bob Turtlesmith Stadium, at least on a third base side, mm-hmm. I'll be honest, it's difficult to pick up pitches, you know, even as it is. Oh, I bet. And especially for a guy like you who <coughs> throws a fastball and throws a cutter and throws a curveball and throws a changeup, I mean, it's not easy. I'm, I'm usually guessing half the time. I guess the hitters are, too. Yeah. But they've got a better view. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and it's not like you guys tip your pitches. So, I mean, I'm, I'm up there doing my best. So, hopefully, I, at least – at least I'm not saying change up when it's a fastball. That's very true. I can tell speed, but the movement is the tough part. Yeah. Now, what's fun about you, mm-hmm. you know, among other things, is that, and I talked about this on the broadcast a little bit, is that regardless of how far away the bullpen is from where I am <laughs> broadcasting, I can always tell. I can always tell when it's you that's warming up. One because, you know, I've come to I've come to learn, you know, the different you know, arm angles that you guys have. So mm-hmm. I can just kind of pick that up. Yep. You also have that bright red leather glove, which is really sweet. I just got to say, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you were picking your gloves and you saw that red one, did you go right to it or did you think about it? Oh, I went, I went directly to it. <laughs> I've never had a red glove in my life, and I thought this was the chance. This is my time. What were the colors of Grayson? Uh, we were navy blue and just white and, like, silver. Didn't want to go with the full navy glove? We didn't get gloves in junior college. We had our own gloves that we – Used. Well, did you did what was your glove blue? 
Mm. No. It was just a tan glove that I had. Run of the mill. So you went with that flaming red, mm-hmm. which is which is really kind of intimidating on the mound. I <laughs> like it a lot. It looks it looks best in my opinion with the with the black short sleeve jerseys. Right. The contrast is really nice. Yeah. That's that's just one man's opinion though. There you go. Anyway, getting getting back to my main point. I can always tell it's you because I see your long hair kind of flowing out the back of your cap <laughs> and kicking around that there. And I know that there's a couple guys on the team who have like a mini competition in terms of flow. It's you, Matty Nickens, and Will Watson. Yep. Who are the three guys who kind of have that long hair. You're the only blonde of the three. And, I mean, Matty and Will, if you're listening, I mean no disrespect, but I think you're in the lead right now. Okay. I mean. I'll take it. You way in here. Yeah. What do you, what do you think? I think I have the best hair. <laughs> what do you, I mean, have you always had long hair? Or was it something you started growing out in high school? Did you always Let's have, see. did you have a buzz cut at one point? I've never had a buzz cut. I got too big of a forehead to have a buzz cut. <laughs> yep. I got it. My mom says I have a five head actually. Oh, that's, that's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, in high school, I never had long hair. It was always short hair. Kind of like yours actually. Oh, my hair, my hair gets a little bit long every now. It and had again. that little side. Has that little kind of wave to I it? Had that little, little wave to the slot to the side. Yeah, it's a good so, look. <clears throat> let's see. I had that through high school and also my freshman year. Cause we had rule. We had strict rules in New Mexico: no facial hair and no long hair. Kind of like the Yankees. Yeah. Bit outdated, if you ask me. Yeah. I feel bad for Clint Frazier. Yeah. He had some nice <laughs> locks. <laughs> yep. So I had that, and then. I got to Grayson, and I was like, you know what? Let's let's grow it out. So I grew it out once I like once I left New Mexico. I did not cut my hair. So the when was the last time you got a haircut? <clears throat> actually, the end of my freshman year at Grayson, I I cut it off because it was actually it was pretty sweet, but my mom didn't really like it because <laughs> halfway through the spring, I decided to go to the barber shop and have the sides buzzed. So I had a straight mullet. So you had like a huge mullet kind of mohawk. I had a straight almost. mullet, yeah. I mean, that's that's fire right there. Yeah. That's, that's a bold, bold look. It, yeah, my hair was like probably Maddie's length, and then it was just straight buzz cut on the sides. So you just had kind of one, kind of not maybe one, but like a long blonde streak running from like the middle of your forehead all the way down to like the back in the middle well, of your like shoulders. Basically just the top of my head ran all the way down to the back. I mean, now we got to see pictures of this, and I know you have some somewhere. Yeah, I got. I'll have to find it. Let's see, because that's that's a look that makes me think. Well, you got you got Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State who's been working on that mullet, and right. you got, I guess, uh, I mean that's like a that's like a like a mid '90s look, mm-hmm. kind of with that with that that mullet look. Oh, that's strong. We're gonna yep. have to we're gonna have to show some people those pictures at some point. You can send me you know your your number one pick there, and and we'll. We'll get a good one out there because that's that's a strong look. Yeah, it's exactly like you described it. You know, you kind of got that wave coming across your mm-hmm. head, but then it just goes straight back and it's buzzed on the sides. Exactly. What about the beard? I've never really Little goatee. Like, it's kind of the first time I've ever decided to grow out facial hair. Really, it complements the, the the golden locks nicely. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a Rapunzel look. And <laughs> I mean that as a compliment. Um, but what do you? I mean, is there like a special product you use? I mean, how do you take care of it? Um, so most people probably think it's weird, but I wash my hair every three days. Okay. Like with shampoo. I condition every night, but I wash every three days. Gotta condition. Yeah, of course. You gotta have it soft. Mm-hmm. But I only wash every three nights. That way I don't like dry it out and make it all frizzy. But then the only product I actually use is like argan oil. 
it just keeps that shiny look and it keeps it from fraying out. And there, there you have awesome. it, folks. You want you want hair like Ryan Hills? You use what was that argan oil? Yeah, like Moroccan argan oil. Moroccan argan. That seems really specific. Is that like a widely used product or is that something special? I don't. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not using any oil in my hair. <laughs> I got Honestly, some gel every now and again, but that's yeah, about it for me. Yeah. I don't know if it's like a popular thing or whatnot, but I remember it was actually in junior college, my freshman year, because my roommate there, we both grew our hair out. A little competition there. Uh huh. And he Who was one. I think I did. Yeah. Well. He had better wings on the side. It kind of stuck out on the side better, and it was it was pretty cool. But uh. He was our shortstop there, and we were watching videos one day, and we came across something about Dansby Swanson, and he's got he's got he's good got ha- some flow. He's got good hair, and it was something that Vanderbilt did about the four guys there that had flow, and they were talking to them, and he mentioned it, so we're like, all right, let's go test it out. So we tried it out, and it was pretty sweet. So I guess that kind of brings me to another question that I that I had for you is. I mean, is there is there a major league pitcher that you kind of model your game after in terms of the kind of pitches you throw or the mentality you have? And then I guess also second now, I mean, what kind of major leaguers are you looking at for hairstyle? Or are you forging your own path? I think I'm forging my own path. <laughs> it certainly seems that way. Right. <clears throat> but uh, let's see. Um, I don't really – throw I feel like like any other major league pitcher does I remember I had I used to have a really long arm action and my junior college coach said that the hitters could see the ball they could pick it up early and that was that so we shortened my arm action and he told me to look up videos of Billy Wagner and watching him throw he was pretty good yeah Hall of Fame ballot guy yes for sure and so I started watching him and I feel like that's what I'm trying to get to, that short arm action. Obviously from the right side. Of the right, rather the left, than the right. left. Yeah, but that's kind of one person that I kind of looked at and tried to model how I threw based off him. Now, I know he pitched for the Astros for, for a long time. Is he a Texas native also? I honestly have no idea. Well, he pitched for the Astros. That's yeah, close, that's close enough. Yeah, close enough. Before you came to Maryland, had you ever been to the East Coast or, or Maryland? I mean, there's a decent amount of travel that we've done. I think we've been in North Carolina three times now right. for a total of – I think we've spent maybe a, a cumulative week in the state of North Carolina, and I'd never been in North Carolina before. <laughs> um, but what about you? I'd never been in North Carolina until this year. Um, we've gone everywhere in North Carolina. Exactly. Now. I feel like I've traveled the whole state already. <laughs> well, we've, we've done Chapel Hill, we've done Wilmington, and we've done Cary. Cary yeah. So, I mean, what what's left? Raleigh? That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, that that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. That'll be on the list for for another time. Exactly. But um let's see. When I was younger, I came out here to the East Coast for a little bit. Um I think it was just like a vacation with my family and we kind of just went around Baltimore a bit, went around DC, and that was pretty much it. I remember being here, but I don't quite remember the sightseeing like I, me- I remember going to the museums that was the cool part and like the national mall in dc yeah. like the air and space museum that's my favorite but i need to go back because i want to 
see it so I can fully remember what all was there. And I'm sure they've changed a little bit. When, when were you here? You were nine, ten? I have no idea. Yeah, but long enough ago mm-hmm. that, that you don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll get back there at some yep. point. And I remember another time uh, my dad brought me to took me to uh, New York to Yankee Stadium. That's where I'm from. To the old Yankee Stadium before mm-hmm. it closed down in the final season. So, so what was that, 09? So I, I've grown up a Mets fan, full mm-hmm. disclosure. Uh, I went to the old Yankee Stadium once. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched a 6 nothing shutout. The Angels won. Um, but it, it had that like really cool like history mm-hmm. vibe to it. Exactly. You, know, you got Mickey Mantle and Joe DiMaggio and mm-hmm. Babe Ruth all out there in Monument Park. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, Shea Stadium at the time, was it, w- it was the kind of stadium that had a lot of character. Yeah. Just like those Mets teams did. And, and I mean, that's where I grew up. I live a little bit closer mm-hmm. to Shea and now City Field. Right. Which team... <laughs> Which team is closest to you? I mean, forgive me for not knowing the geography of Texas, but are you a a what, did you grow up a Rangers fan or did you grow up a, an Astros fan? Rangers fan. Rangers fan. That was kind of in like the Nolan Ryan era. Yeah. So is was he a guy? That, he was. Was the, he like your boyhood idol sort of? That's thing? who I looked up to growing up. So when you're out there on the mound, I mean, are you kind of channeling Nolan Ryan and trying to blow people away? I'd like to try you'd like to think so <laughs> i mean he he's a guy who has you know the most strikeouts of all time you've got 26 and 18 innings just under 18 innings so you're well on your way yes <laughs> now the interesting thing and, and this is why you know i'm in the position i'm in i'm, I'm here to bring the numbers yep of all of the non-starters on mm-hmm. the team so all the guys who have not made i guess it's more than two starts so aside from brian schaefer taylor bloom and tyler bloom right you have thrown the most innings you're tied for second on the team in appearances. You started your freshman year at Grayson, mm-hmm. then became the closer, mm-hmm. and now you're kind of a jack of all trades reliever here. Mm-hmm. What's your, what role are you most comfortable in? Be I feel like because I've done it all, I'm comfortable in all the roles. I feel like I mean that's good. Like if I'm needed to start, I can I can throw out a start. If I'm needed to close, I can close. Or if I'm needed in the middle of a game, like I'm doing kind of right now. I can do that. Um, basically, whatever they want to throw me, and then I feel like I can get the job done and give them my best. How does the, does the mentality change whether you're you know throwing out the first pitch or coming on in the middle of the fourth inning or fifth inning? I think it's all the same mentality. You want to, for me, I like to work fast. I like to throw the pitch, catch the ball, get back on the rubber. I want to get off that mound as fast as I can and back in the dugout and let our hitters hit, do their thing. Nolan Ryan fast. There you go. There you go. So there, so there it is. So, you know, as we kind of progress in this season, you know, you've now thrown – I think I've seen you instances. You've come in for a third of an inning. You've come in for three and a third innings mm-hmm. last last Tuesday, I think it was. At Wilmington, yeah. Uh, at Wilmington. Um, got your second career win there. Thank that must you. have been That must yeah. have been fun. <laughs> um, what was that first career win like? That was down uh, – where was that? It was an away game, wasn't it? I think so. Honestly, I don't even think I realized that I got the win. Until I think you told me, I, I do remember coming up to you after the game. I want to say, I think it was the carry tournament. Maybe, maybe it wasn't carry. Maybe, maybe it wasn't carry. Maybe it was Notre Dame and carry. That's the only one I could think of. Maybe we can look. Th- we can look this up yeah. another time. But I mean, bottom line, and this is coming from a broadcaster and baseball fan, not from a pitcher. <laughs> wins are not the best statistic. In my opinion, correct. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do, how do pitchers feel about wins? I'm sure you guys, you know, read or see this stuff about it from a statistical standpoint. Do you guys still, like, cherish the win? Oh, for sure. 
it's still like you know a nice thing to have. Yeah. What do What do you think is more important when judging a pitcher? Win ERA, strikeout to walk ratio. I think you kind of look at all three of those. Oh come on, that's a cop out. <laughs> I think you look at all three of those. Like you look at the ERA, obviously, to see how they're doing there. The strikeout to walk ratio is also a big one because you don't. I guess like I don't like to walk batters. I know that. I mean, yeah, I never thought very many. I never thought of myself as a strikeout guy. And actually, when we said I had 26 strikeouts, I was kind of surprised. But uh, I've always thought of myself as someone who had the ball put in play and let the defense do their job. It's also the third most strikeouts on the team. Wow. In case you were wondering. Wow. <laughs> Trailing only Brian Schaefer and Tyler Blome. Huh. But I so remember. How about that? Yeah. But I remember my freshman year when I was in New Mexico, we had our ace pitcher. He went, I want to say he had 63 innings straight with not a single walk. He had, like, the longest streak. Or I think it was 63. It was some ridiculous number of innings, like, in a row, and he had no walks. And I thought that was probably the most impressive stat I'd heard. You should have seen Brian Schaefer and Taylor <coughs> Bloom last year. Really? Well, Bloom had 60 strikeouts and nine walks in over 100 innings, and Schaefer had – 75 strikeouts in 13 walks in over 100. And both those guys had more starts than walks. It See, was That's awesome. It was impressive. That's awesome. I'm still That's still one of my favorite fun facts in terms of statistics from last season. So we got wins, we got ERA, we got strikeout to walk ratio. How much uh, does a fungo golf score factor <laughs> into these things? Oh. I know you're a big fungo golf fan. And just, just for the people, I guess, who don't necessarily know what fungo golf is, fungo is, I guess, a, a lighter, shorter bat. Longer. The ones, the longer bat. Longer, longer bat, but but lighter. Mm -hmm. The ones using the game. It's used to hit the ground balls during infield, outfield. Ground balls, pop-ups. The whole nine yards. Yeah. And fungo golf is, I, you, know, you, you can explain it. Basically, you pick out holes, like, quote-unquote holes. Holes. Yeah. You pick out parts of the field. That would be the hole you, where you tee off from. And you basically just hit the fungo. You can hit in the air, hit on the ground, however you want it. And you just count your strokes so you get to that hole. So give me an example using <clears throat> Bob Turtlesmith Stadium. So whenever I play, I always start at home plate. That's the first tee box. Oh, that's the tee box. That's the that's the ver that's the first hole tee box right there. And usually, what I like to do is I'd probably start there, and I'd go to right center field to the protected house sign. Okay. So power alley. Yeah. Basically, you count the strokes to get there, but there's a catch to it. The infield dirt that we have, the brown part of the turf, mm -hmm. you think of that as water. Okay, that's a, so that's the hazard. So Can't that's, hit, that's so a water hazard. If the ball touches it, that's a stroke. It, yes, exactly. Okay. So any part of the infield dirt on a baseball field is considered the water hazard. I like that. I think that's a good rule. Are uh -huh. there any other kind of funky, quirky rules to fungo golf in College Park? I'm sure they change, you know, based on where you go. Um, They're... We haven't really played much here, but last year at Grayson we played a lot, and we had a rule, a pickup rule. So, on like a par, like we had it, we were serious about it. Yeah, I mean you you were about to say on a par five. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, yeah. you're going for a sign on the outfield fence, so, and, and you know how many strokes it's supposed to take somebody uh -huh. out there. So, we actually had week long tournaments that we played. So, say practice was at two o'clock, we were out there at twelve thirty starting. 
Starting the fungo golf rounds. Starting the fungo golf rounds, yeah. So we played nine holes a day, and it was a five-day tournament, Monday through Friday. <laughs> Did it, I mean, was there is it was it like professional golf where like you can miss oh. the cut? Yeah, we had like the first tournament was like our invitational, <laughs> and so our the field name there was the Dub Hayes. So we had the Dub Hayes Dub Hayes Invitational, then we had like the Dub Hayes Open, then we had the Masters, and we had like all these like tournaments that you would hear about in pro Next, golf. Next, you're gonna tell me that you guys had a green jacket too. No, we didn't have a green jacket. <laughs> What was the trophy? Was it just pride? Yeah, it was just pride. But bragging rights. We each tournament, we did print out a map of the field, like a picture, a Google Maps picture of the, our field, mm-hmm. and we wrote on it and we planned out the holes exactly where they were at. So we had everything. So you had a field guide. Oh, for sure. And I think, yeah, we did. Each person had a caddy. Even though it was only the fungo you carried, it wasn't like a bag. <laughs> they just carried your fungo for freshman, you. Freshman, right? Yeah. Yeah. Freshman. One one of the players was our coach, though. Like, playing along with us was our coach, so he just took the golf cart around everywhere. Mm-hmm. We walked, he took the golf cart everywhere. Right, I mean, and he gets that right. Exactly. Absolutely. For sure. So, yeah, we had that, and we kept score, and just like golf, carried on the score to the next day, to the next day, the next day, and, and on Friday, we saw who won. All right, well, uh, as as we wrap up our conversation mm-hmm. here on the podcast, we're gonna have to set up a Bob Turtle Smith Stadium Invitational for sure, and and get some fungo golf tournaments going with some of the pitchers, some of the hitters. Maybe they might have an advantage. Maybe I don't know. I don't know who who plays better fungo golf, hitters or pitchers. Usually, does it not matter? Well, some of our pitchers can't really hit fungo. How would a broadcaster do? I think he'd do fairly well. All right, I'll take that. Yeah, I'll take that. That's a that's a good place to wrap up here. We'll, <laughs> we'll end with that. So, Fungo Golf, Bob Turtlesmith Stadium Invitational coming up sometime soon. I don't know. The Masters is next week. Maybe we'll get True. it started uh, on the next home stretch. We'll see. That's after yeah. the Nebraska series. But Ryan Hill, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank and you very much. Best of luck the rest of the way this season. Thank you. So that was the king of the Ryan Hill joining us on the Maryland <laughs> Baseball Network podcast, and we thank him for his time. Yeah, that was one of my one of my top five. I think fantasy baseball team names not to dive back into that conversation <laughs> too much but that was a solid one well to start a new one maryland will head to piscataway probably the best road trip in the big 10 to take on rutgers this weekend yes i say that a bit facetiously uh, the scarlet knights are 9 and 14 on the season jake which is not an overly impressive record but there are a couple of factors to think about one the scarlet knights so far this season have played a three-game series at virginia three at Miami, and four at Florida Gulf Coast, who's made its way into the top 20. And they've only played two home games. So it is a little bit hard to get a read on how good the Scarlet Knights team is. Now, this was a Scarlet Knights team last year that beat Maryland two out of three games in College Park. They won the Friday and Saturday games. But they did that really on the backs of a bunch of guys who were seniors that were kind of leaving. This is a very senior-heavy program last year. R.J. Devish, the senior catcher last year, if I remember correctly, Mike Carter was a designated hitter last year who was a sophomore, had been injured and came back. Their Friday night starter, Howie Bray, won a complete game. He's no longer on the roster, if I remember correctly. So it's a team that has a lot of turnover. A couple of guys that are returning that had decent series against Maryland last year. Tom Marcinczyk was in right field for Rutgers last year. He went two for five in that Friday game. And, of course, you can't talk about Rutgers baseball or football, really, without bringing up Juwan Harris. Yeah, Harris has been outstanding this year. He's hitting 310 in 23 starts, seven homers, 13 RBIs, and the big number is 13 stolen bases already. 
other than Harris, they're led offensively by Mike Carter, who you mentioned. He's hitting 402 so far this year, and he's stolen five bases himself, driven in 17 runs. But other than that, nobody on the team's over 286, and Rutgers is kind of searching for something offensively. Now, Mike Carter's a really interesting story. A couple of years ago, he was doing bunt practice and took took one off the bat into his face and had to get you know, some surgery there. Now wears a cage around his helmet, and he kind of debuted that cage last season and, you know, showed it against Maryland as well. But he's a guy, as you mentioned, leads that Rutgers offense, and they're going to go kind of as he goes as an offense. It's their offense that has helped Rutgers win the games they've won, not necessarily their pitching. Right, and on that side of the ball, pitching and defense specifically, Rutgers has struggled. As a team this season, they've already made 40 errors. They have 10 from one guy, 8 from another. So catching the ball is a little bit of an issue for this team. And then the pitching just frankly hasn't been that great either. Their two main starters that have gotten six starts this year are Serafino Brito and John O'Reilly, who both have ERAs well over five. Great name, by the way. Serafino. No relation to Socrates, Brito. No, but... But a great I, name. That is a good name. Can I wonder if we could call your parents maybe a Serafino Eisenberg we could change <laughs> for you? I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> That's a decent ring to it. <laughs> if you say so. But Brito and O'Reilly have struggled this year, and the reason for that is neither of them really has strikeout stuff. In 34 and two-thirds innings, Brito's only struck out 21 batters, and O'Reilly's only struck out 15 and 34 and a third, and hitters against them both have over 300 batting averages. And then for Sunday starts, uh, Rutgers has kind of been looking around so far this year. They've gotten three starts from Gabby Rosa, who's been pretty good. Christian Campbell's given them four starts, one from Eric Reardon and one from James Torres. So it'll be interesting to see who the Scarlet Knights go with on Sunday, but the pitching hasn't been great, and part of the reason for that is that they frankly just have trouble catching the ball and for the two of us watching Maryland all season, it really shows what can happen to a team on the scoreboard when that right column of errors starts mounting up. Well, I think that goes for any program. Is If you're going to have more errors than hits or even just three errors in a ball game, you're going to have a tough time winning at any level, whether it be collegiate, high school, professional. You, it, you can't commit errors and win a ball game. It's, it's that simple. But going back to the pitching that you were talking about and going back to last year's series, it was Mike Schwarren on Friday, Taylor Bloom on Saturday, and Brian Schaefer on Sunday. And the start against Rutgers was actually one of Bloom's worst of the season after that sensational year that he had. He did pitch seven innings against Rutgers, but allowed six runs on nine hits and gave up a home run to Mike Martinez, who was a freshman that came in for Mike Carter in that Saturday game. Now, while Taylor Bloom struggled, Brian Schaefer was outstanding to salvage the series on that Sunday game. Eight strikeouts over eight innings. No runs allowed. He walked one on 115 pitches. Looked a lot like his start this past weekend against Michigan. And if, well, if Schaefer was that good on Sunday against Rutgers this season, now on Fridays, no reason to think that there would be any other result. And there are some interesting factors going into this game. Maryland hasn't had a road weekend series since the second weekend of the season at LSU. They did play in Cary, North Carolina the following weekend, but it was against three different schools and nobody was really the home team. So this is the first time for a weekend since LSU back in February that they are going on the road for a weekend series. And Rutgers has to be happy about being back in Piscataway. They've only played two games there so far this season. 
One was a win against Wagner back on February 28th, and the other was just on last week when they lost to Ryder 7-2. They do have a home-and-home -home midweek with Monmouth coming into the Maryland series, but Rutgers has to be happy to be back on its home field and Maryland going on the road again. So not a huge road trip, but could be somewhat of a factor. Well, this is also the beginning part of a big road trip for Maryland. You mentioned it. Seven out of the next eight games for the Terps are on the road, starting with St. Joseph's on Wednesday. That one will get started at 3 o'clock. We'll get started at 2.30 on Maryland Baseball Network from Philadelphia. But the Terps, because of where St. Joseph's is located, are going straight from St. Joseph's to Piscataway, so not coming back to College Park on Thursday. So it's going to be a little bit longer of a road trip than you might normally get for a weekend. It'll be Wednesday to Sunday instead of really Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon to Sunday. And I don't think that's necessarily going to play a factor, but it's certainly something to be aware of. Yeah, I think the guys are going to be pretty heartbroken about missing class on Thursday and Friday. <laughs> might be tough. Um, but, yeah. They do they do, do a, a great job on the road of building in study hours. Absolutely. And making sure that everyone gets their work done. I take advantage of it, too. I have my own classes. Student-athlete. Student broadcaster, student athlete. We're right? all we're all students first. Absolutely. Um, for the Terps, we mentioned it a little bit earlier, but if they want to get back into those top 25 rankings, if they want to help out the RPI on the road, you kind of feel like this is a series they should and somewhat need to sweep? Well, I think the first thing to consider is how important rankings are at this juncture in the season, and the answer to that is not really important at all. I think Maryland over the past couple of years has shown that they're a team that enjoys being the underdog. They have a blue-collar mentality. They don't necessarily need to or want to be ranked. You know, they want to win their games, fly under the radar, and then kind of pounce at the end of the season to have that chip on their shoulder. So I think that whether they're ranked or not, it doesn't really matter. But if they were to be ranked, I think that the Terps would have to win all four of their games this week. That would put them very much in the conversation where I think they were this past weekend. And then I think the Terps would have to open some eyes the following weekend in Lincoln, Nebraska. Now, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but that'll be another marquee Big Ten series that I think a good showing for Maryland would put them back kind of on the on the perspective of, of not necessarily perspective, but I think it would put them in the eyes of people on a national scale. Absolutely, and Maryland was the preseason favorite in everyone's mind to win the Big Ten. But while you're right that being ranked right now doesn't matter, it's never too early to start accumulating wins if, worst-case scenario, you need to try and get an at-large bid. Of course, and I think you know it'll, and the more wins you can get in the Big Ten, the better you're set up for the Big Ten tournament, which Maryland has performed well in each of the two years that it's been in the Big Ten tournament, reached the finals in 2015, reached the semifinals in 2016, both his seats lower than three. So I think that... You know, of course, you want to accumulate wins, but whether or not it leads to rankings is a different story. Absolutely. Well, the Terps this weekend, as you mentioned, Wednesday at St. Joseph's for the second matchup of the season between the those two teams. Maryland won the first here in College Park. Cam Ank started that game, struggled early, but the Terps made a big comeback for the second day in a row after beating William and Mary on a Tuesday. And then three games in Piscataway against Rutgers. We'll have it all for you here on MBN. As always, uh, the Terps will look to pick up four wins. Uh, but right now, they're focused on Wednesday and continuing to play well. 
will be interesting to see who gets that start on Wednesday. And I was going to bring that up because we've seen a couple of guys that have gotten opportunities. Mike Racino got a start. Taylor Styles got a start. Hunter Parsons and Cam Ank were the guys first in line to get those starts. And I think we don't, we don't know who's starting yet come Wednesday. But I think the two guys to keep an eye out for, one of them we talked to on this podcast is Ryan Hill, who was a starter his freshman season at Grayson College and has shown this year to be one of the more reliable relieving arms. He's pitched the most innings out of anyone not named Brian Schaefer, Taylor Bloom, or Tyler Bloom, and he has the third most strikeouts on the team. And I think he's kind of the front runner to get a nod to start a game. I think the second guy to keep an eye on would be John Murphy, who's been really strong in the few appearances that he's had this season. He's looked really sharp. And Chef has been especially pleased with his ability to throw strikes. He's only thrown six innings, but he was a guy last year who came in as a as a heralded freshman and got the first opportunity for the midweek start last year. Things just didn't pan out for him. It kind of struggled last year. Right. And first of all, I'm very impressed with how fluently you say Taylor Bloom, Tyler Bloom now. I've, I've practiced it a lot, really. <laughs> I have. It, it's impressive. But two... It, it, it is interesting. Maybe the guys know who's starting and we don't. That's entirely possible. But I heard your interview last week with Mike Racino when he got the midweek start, and it seemed like he was pretty surprised when he was told. And that's interesting because all these guys are not really stretched out as starters. They're bullpen guys right now. And for them to be told maybe a day or two before their first start in a long time that they're getting the ball in the first inning, that's interesting because while Ryan Fecto told you last week that he was only looking for an inning or two out of Racino, starting versus relieving is a whole different ballgame. Well, what's interesting about that is, you know, you heard in, in part of our conversation with Ryan Hill, we asked him kind of what the difference was between starting and relieving his mentality as warm up. And from his perspective, there's really no difference at all. So I think it's a pitcher by pitcher basis. And you having been a pitcher at Brandeis would know a little bit more about this than I do, certainly. I think the case with Racino and with Styles for that matter, as you said, is that Ryan Fecto was looking to not necessarily get six innings of one-run ball. He was looking to get, you know, three innings, maybe two, at least once through the lineup was kind of the ideal and, you know, piece the game together. And I think that's what you might see on Wednesday, especially if it's Ryan Hill who gets the nod. I think John Murphy has the ability to go a little bit longer if they want him to because he hasn't pitched so much this season and because he came in as a starter. But Again, a lot of this is all speculation. Right, absolutely. We don't know. They could very well be going back to Hunter Parsons or Cam Ank, who were the midweek guys at the beginning of the season. Which I don't think necessarily would be out of the question or a bad idea. Because no. I think eventually you have to see what you have. I agree. And Hunter was very good last year. He pitched a good inning on Sunday. And I think it's one of those situations where if Maryland's going to be as good as they want to be this year, Hunter Parsons is going to play a role in that. I think so, too. I think what you might see, and again, I'm this is all presumption on my part. A little bit is based on what I've seen from the Maryland staff over the last year or two. And, of course, there's a new pitching coach, so there's a new kind of you know perspective here. But I think what you might see on Wednesday is I think you might see both Ryan Hill and John Murphy, one of them getting the start, the other one piggybacking. And then depending on how the score shakes out or what's going on, you'll see Hunter Parsons coming out of the bullpen or maybe Cam Ank getting opportunity or maybe Andrew Green coming out of the bullpen who has not pitched so much this season. Again, that all depends on kind of the late game situation, but I think those first two guys that you're going to see are going to be Ryan Hill and John Murphy. 
And one thing is for sure, regardless of who starts for the Terps, it hasn't quite hurt them so much so far this year, but it's going to be tough to keep needing seven, eight innings out of your bullpen in midweek games going into weekend series. So the Terps will look for some length out of someone or maybe a combination guys on Wednesday against St. Joseph's and then on the weekend, as always, Schaefer, Bloom, and Blome against the Scarlet Knights. Very nice, very nicely done. Of course, it helps when those three guys are keeping that bullpen rested and, and well, as Schaefer did on Friday and then Bloom and Blum Saturday and Sunday. But that'll do it for this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Thanks again for joining us for our 30th episode. It's been a pleasure so far to bring you this podcast every week, and we're happy to continue to do it with various player and coach interviews and all of our analysis and insight and fantasy baseball team names and the like. As a reminder, you can follow Maryland Baseball Network on Twitter at MDBaseballNet or like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MDBaseballNet. Of course, you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Just search for Maryland Baseball Network in the iTunes score and click subscribe to have episodes sent straight to your phone. Special thanks to Ryan Hill for joining us on this edition. And, well, I guess a special thanks to the rest of our staff for keeping us entertained with fantasy baseball team names and keeping us informed about everything that's going on. So until next time, Jake Eisenberg for Justin Galanti. We'll see you on Wednesday from St. Joseph's. Terps and Hawks getting set at 3 o'clock, and we'll get things started at 2.30 on the Maryland Baseball Network. So long. <laughs>